Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Good to see some friendly faces that uh, I've known for many years. It's good to be together in the city of Colchester. My first time preaching in the city of Colchester. I have preached in the town of Colchester many times, but it's good to be together. Uh, we're going to dive into the Bible today, and I want to unpack for us something of the, the heart of a Christian leader. And uh, we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul, who Hugh was just talking about a moment ago, who in many ways was an exceptional leader, in many ways uh, one of the most significant uh, Christians to have ever lived. But he's also someone who was not afraid to say to uh, a church that he had helped uh, start, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And we're going to look at his heart today. And the reason why I feel led to kind of uh, unpack this a little bit uh, today from, from the book of Philippians in chapter 1, so if you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn there, is because really this is uh, for all of us to, to get a hold of. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, uh, then today uh, I want to, to uh, encourage us that it's, we, we want to have the heart of Christian leaders, okay? Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the overseers and the deacons and the saints in the church at Philippi, which was a, a place in Greece. He's writing to overseers, which the Bible uses the word overseers or pastors or elders to describe those who are charged with leading a church, and to deacons, other types of leaders in the church, and to the saints. That's everyone. And he's writing to them, and he's saying uh, in, in Corinthians and elsewhere, hey, look to my heart and imitate my heart. And you guys here in Redeemer, um, you've got big things ahead of you as a church family. Uh, already it's so good to, to see in this venue here, in this new venue, you're already uh, quite busy, especially when the kids and youth were in. I don't think there was a spare seat in the place. God is taking you on a journey, and I think you know that. Some of you have been around in, on this journey for some years. Some of you have only been here for eight months or so, and you, you already know God is, is taking you on a journey as a church, and there's much more to come. There's greater uh, influence and impact that you're going to have here in, in Colchester, and there's, there's way more beyond this as well. You're already, you've already sent of some of your best people in recent years. I think of Ben and Mika having gone to Nijmegen and others as well that have gone on from this place. And so really, as God is leading you forward and taking you forward on this journey, I believe that he wants to see many, many people here stepping up into leadership. Some of you will be elders here in the future. Some of you will be deacons here. Some of you will serve in other types of leadership in the church. But all of us are called to be influencers. All of us are called to have influence in the lives of others. And I want us to go to the heart today of, of what it looks like to be a Christian leader. And I hope and pray that this will encourage you and, uh, and stir you and maybe provoke you in some helpful ways as well. So here we go. Philippians chapter 1 is what we're going we're, we're gonna to be based in today. We're going to read a lot of the Bible. And some of these verses will be familiar to you if you've been around church for some time. But I do trust that um, things are going to jump out to you even as I read. This is what it says in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And we're just going to jump a little bit. No, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13 as well. Okay, here we go. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now let's jump to verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So you may have picked up in those verses already that the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's been in prison for a couple of years by this point and uh, he's already starting to have an impact amongst the guards uh, in, in the area. They're already starting to hear the gospel. But Paul's in prison and he's yearning for this church in Philippi. His heart is longing for them. And uh, I want you to just picture this for a moment. Paul has seen these churches established across different cities and towns uh, in uh, Asia and parts of Europe. And he's now arrested and he's got no way of kind of communicating with them on a daily basis as to how they're doing. I want you just to picture the helplessness that he might feel the moment that those uh, those chains were put on his wrists, what would be the first thing that comes to his mind is, are these churches going to be okay? They're kind of brand new churches in places where there's a lot of hostility towards the Christian faith. And he's starting to, I imagine he would have felt helpless. I don't know if you've kind of ever felt that. You, you want to fix things for people, but you feel helpless to do that. Is anyone, can anyone identify as anything of a fixer here? Some of you, you just know, I just want to go and help people. And, and Maybe during the COVID lockdowns, you kind of thought, I want to go and help that person, but I can't. I can only go out of my house for an hour a day. I want to go and sort that situation out at the other side of the country. And you kind of feel helpless. Well, Paul shows us his heart here in these verses. He says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I, I want to be with you all, but I can't be. And he realizes that actually the most effective way that he can bring influence to them is through prayer. And I, I think it's true that even if he wasn't in prison, and as, even as he's traveling around from region to region, his, the most effective means of influencing people that he cares for is through prayer. This is kind of like a, a, a free point for you today, because we're going to go and delve a little bit deeper into his heart. But if you are someone who has a heart for others, and you yearn for others' good, you need to understand this, that the most effective way that you can influence that person is through prayer. Your example is so important. Your words are so important. But you really want to see change in someone's life, pray for them. Pray for them earnestly and see God do miracles in their life. This is a little a, a free point for you today. But listen, we, we see here the word uh, gospel repeated six times in just a few verses. We see here what has grabbed Paul's heart. Something has, arre something has arrested Paul's heart. 
he has been arrested uh, on account of preaching the gospel. But long before he was arrested, he has been arrested by the gospel itself. He, has, his, he was kind of going one way with his life. He was pursuing the destruction of Christianity. This was his story. And it's now he's met Jesus and he's been arrested in his heart to proclaim the gospel. Gospel just means good news. You might think when you hear the word gospel, you think of vibrant choir you're singing. No, well, gospel means good news. It's the good news that God so loved the world. We've sung about that this morning, that he so loved the world. And in his love, he gave. He gave his one and only son, his always existing son, who is equal with him in every way and who has always existed. He gave his son to the world. And his son, in humility, took on human flesh. He became nothing, we read in chapter 2, taking on the form of a human and being obedient to his father in every single way. Never a moment where he regretted his choices. Never a moment when he said, what was I thinking? Never a moment when he thought, I just wish I hadn't done that. He was obedient to his father in every way. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he died in the place of you and I, is what the Bible teaches. And then having said, it is finished, having declared it is finished and breathing his last, he was buried and on the third day he rose again. And death couldn't hold him down. And he, he spent time with his friends and followers and then after some weeks he ascended to heaven and how, now at the right hand of his father, once again, they have poured out the Holy Spirit upon the people of God and he has said, I'm going to come again. That is the gospel. That is the good news that Paul has been arrested by, that has grabbed his heart, that he now, he's, he's completely sold out for. He says in these uh, verses that he rejoices that the, uh, the people uh, in Philippi are partners in the gospel. He says, I'm in chains because of the gospel. He says, what has happened to me has only served to further the gospel. Later, as we read, he said, I long that you're striving side by side for the gospel. This is what has grabbed him. And my question for you today is, are you grabbed by this gospel? Are you arrested by it? Is this, is this what you are orientating your life around? Or are there other agendas maybe that might be competing? There could be the kingdom of self and making a name for yourself in whatever field that you may be in. I kind of just want people to love me to speak about me, to praise me, to say good things about me. That, that could be what's going on. That might be what's something that is kind of competing almost, as it were, an agenda that's competing. Or maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an idol of comfort. I just want to get through life without it being hard. I just want to get through life without, I want to just be able to snuggle up on the sofa in one of those cool blanket things that are like a hoodie as well. And I just don't want hard things in life. I just, I just want it to go by without any hardship. It may well be that there's kind of like an idol of comfort in your life. Well, Paul was grabbed by the gospel. It was like, hey, everything in my life has got to be orientated around seeing this good news go out. I want others to take a hold of it. What is it that we might be grabbed by? He was able to say in verse 5 that he considered the church in Philippi from day one partners in the gospel. So from the moment they believed, they were brought into something that was of global significance, of eternal significance. They were brought into something that 
uh, that would, would now shape their lives. And their partnership in the gospel with Paul would have been, I guess, in, looked like a couple of things. It would have looked like them um, financing his mission to different nations, and they definitely did that. We see that in chapter 4. And I know that you guys do this as a church. You guys give uh, individually to this church so that the mission here is furthered, but you also give uh, to relational mission that the, the gospel may go to different nations through many different people. I know you guys do that. But I guess that there was also another way in which they were partners in the gospel. They saw themselves as missionaries. They saw that their locality was their mission field. So it wasn't that they just saw Paul as a missionary going off to different nations, heralding the good news. But they saw themselves as missionaries in their little corner of Greece. They, they saw that they were on a mission where they were, that they could see people come to know Jesus where they were. And it wasn't kind of someone's job to do it, but it was that they were partners in the gospel. I think that's what Paul is getting at here when he says that they were partners in the gospel. They'd been brought into something that was way bigger than any other agenda, way bigger than our entrepreneurial endeavors. I know there'll be some here who love to start new things up, and that's good and wonderful, but we don't center our lives around those things. Maybe some of you are a, a mad Colchester United fans. Uh, probably not, because they're not doing very well. <laughs> but maybe you can center your life. People center their lives around a sports team, don't they? And I know many Ipswich Town nuts. <laughs> I'm thinking that we're part of something way bigger than whether we get promoted from League One. <laughs> we're part of something that is, 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 is huge, of global significance. And we center our lives around it. What is your life all about? Is it, is it about uh, pleasing your parents? I mean, the Bible does say we're to honor our father and mother. That's a good thing. But sometimes we can, if our parents don't trust Jesus, or maybe they maybe got some things a little bit muddled up, we can sometimes, at the expense of kind of honoring God and obeying Him and making our lives all about the gospel being advanced, we can sometimes... Um, yeah, want to honor our parents more than we want to honor God. That can hold us back sometimes. Sometimes it's being in with a certain crowd. I, wanna, I want to be popular with these people, and that can compromise our making life all around, the, uh, orientating our lives around the advance of the gospel. This is quite challenging, isn't it? What does it look like on the surface? Well, I think it, I think it looks like us seeing our, our, our money, our time, our talents, our futures, our friendships in a completely new light. I think that's what happened with the Apostle Paul. I think he saw those things in one light, and then when he met Jesus, everything had to change. Those things, those areas of life, they just suddenly were seen through a completely new lens. And so with our, with our money, we, we, when we come to know Jesus, we say, well, this money isn't really mine. It belongs to God anyway, and I get to steward it. And I get to give back to him what is already his. And I get to invest in his purposes and his priorities. And, and generosity, friends, is a, massive, it's a massive deal. It's a massive witness. I remember when I used to work as a social worker, speaking with a colleague of mine, and we had many great conversations over the years. And he, he once, um, in order to try and kind of persuade me that my, he my church was somehow corrupt, the church we were part of, he said, 
you know all of your, your pastors are all just kind of like driving swanky cars and living in fancy homes, don't you? And I said, like, I know all of my elders, and none of them are driving swanky cars or in fancy homes. They, they're sold out for Jesus. And he said, so tell me, how's your church funded? And I said, well, hundreds of us give hundreds of pounds a month to the life of our church. And he was gobsmacked by that because for so many people, money is, is, is an idol. It's something I've got to cling on to as much as I can. And I don't want to give it away to anyone else. And so the way in which we even look at our money is a witness to people. We say, well, it's not really mine. I get to give it away. I get to be generous with it. And I know that this is something that you guys do. And I know this is something that you guys are growing and growing and growing in. But we look at it and we say, I once looked at it in one way, I look at it in another way now. I once looked at it in the way of, I want to keep as much as I can. And now I'm saying, well, in order to see the gospel advance, I want to give as much as I can. Our time, we, we start to say, well, I'm not really my own anymore. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that, this, this changes everything, doesn't it? And he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So it's no longer, I'm not, I'm not living for me anymore. And so my time means I, I, it's all God's. It's all God's time, and I'm going to say no to some things. I'm going to say yes to some things because I want to see the gospel go out. I want to see it advance. And listen, that does require sacrifice. And, and we, are, we are so encouraged to have me time, aren't we? We're so encouraged to have that. And listen, rest is really wise. Rest is a good thing, and burnout is not godly. It's not a good thing that we celebrate. I think we're, we're kind of the generation that came before me was the, 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 the people who started all the great tech companies, and they were kind of the generation of burnout. I'm going to go and go and go until I see this established, I'm going to burn out. But listen, it's, it's not us who live anymore, it's Christ who lives in us. And so that's going to mean some sacrifices of some things. It's going to mean me saying, actually, no, I'd, I'd quite like to do that, but actually, I know this is going to serve to further the gospel. And so I'm going to lay that down, I'm going to say no to some things. I'm going to make some radical decisions around my time. Or it might be our talents where we say, well, what, what has God given me? What has he put in my hands? What things has he, has he entrusted me with? And I'm going to, I'm going to look to, to, to use them for the advance of the gospel. I'm not going to hide them away. I'm going to come to the team here and say, I feel God's given me this to do. And how can I use it? Is there a way in which I could use this to see the gospel advance in this place? We were celebrating the life of a man uh, at Hope Church just a few days ago um, at his funeral. And um, he died young, uh, but for 20 or 30 years, he'd given himself to children's work. He was a, a wonderful children's worker. He had another job, but he was so often serving uh, on Sundays. And uh, we heard in his eulogy that on many occasions he had been gunged in the kids' club. Uh, gunged for the sake of the gospel. This guy who was just willing to be on his hands and knees with children. Willing to, to use the talents that God had given him to see the gospel advance amongst children. This is what it looks like, guys. It's not going to be the case that we're all going to get imprisoned for the gospel. But it's saying, God, what have you given me? Instruments, voice that I could use. Is there a way in which I can, I've, you've just given me a way with people. I can serve as welcoming people in. I can serve by going out onto the streets and talking with people. What is it that God has given? What has he put in your hands? 
something for you to think about in these days. What has he, what has he given me? He has a part for all of us to play. Our, our future. Have you, got, have you got plans? Some of you are at kind of the outset of your careers, maybe finishing university, and you might have a plan in place for your future. Some of you have got long-term plans. You say, I want to do this by this age. It's not a bad thing to have a plan, but are your plans interruptible? Do you, do you, are you saying to God, if at any point you want to just kind of interrupt here, Lord, I'm open to that? Or is it so pinned down that you think, no, 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 this can never be touched? Have you, have you said to God, this is totally interruptible, Lord? I believe that's what it looks like when we orientate our lives around the gospel. We say, God, my plans, yeah, I've got plans, but I'm not holding them so tightly that you can't interrupt, that you can't speak in and say, I want you to go, or I want you to do this, or I want you to lay that down. And finally, our friendships. This is such a wonderful thing. I'm looking around at a gloriously diverse bunch here, young and old, black and white, Asian, different uh, nationalities, different backgrounds, no doubt very different uh, educational experiences. This is a diverse bunch. And in the gospel, you are one. We belong to each other. And that's a glorious thing. That's one of the, the most glorious things about Christianity, actually, globally. It is the most diverse faith. It, it transcends all cultures. The gospel is good news in every culture. In every cultural emphasis, it's, it's good news. And God has made you one. And so you may not like it sometimes, but he's called you to be one in one heart with one goal, to be uni unified and unanimous in your goal together. And so that means we give ourselves to growing in friendship. That means even as Hugh encouraged us earlier, we say, yeah, I'm going to stick around for a bit after church. I'm going to have some lunch together. Or if I haven't got lunch, I'm going to nab someone else's lunch and stick around. But I'm going to I want to grow in friendship. I want, to, I want this to be a striving side by side, as Paul says it. A striving side by side for the gospel. And that picture, I don't know if it conjures this up for you, but I'm sure it would have done for Paul as he saw these Roman soldiers around. It, it, it conjures up for me a picture of the Roman soldiers in, in that testudo formation or the tortoise formation as you might know it. Side by side, shield wall, impenetrable. We're going together. We're going together. I'm not going to go this alone. And sometimes it can be tempting, can't it, to say, I, I'm just so tired out from church. I'm tired out from things or I'm hurt from some things. I want to go it alone. That's so tempting. But it's so dangerous. And I don't think that the early Christians knew anything of, of lone wolf Christianity. It just wasn't a thing. There was a, it, was a, it was a commitment. I'm, I'm together. The people that God has put me with, I'm with them, heart and soul. We may be very different. We may have nothing in common apart from the fact that we love Jesus and he saved us. But we go together. We, we lock shields together. We go forward together. And it's, it's becoming increasingly uh, seductive, I have noticed, I think post-COVID and people had time to reflect and reflection is not a bad thing, but sometimes people stew in their thoughts way too much and they start to think, you know what, I, I don't really need to be in church. I can listen to 
Bethel as I drive around and listen to some nice worship music. Or I can listen to a podcast. From, I can pre- pick whatever preacher in the world I want to listen to, and I can listen to them. I don't really need anyone. And I, I think that's a seductive thing. I want to say, look out for that. Watch out for your friends in that. Because we do, there's no part of the body that is insignificant. Every part of the body is, is necessary. And we need each other. And we, we need to kind of watch each other's back in this. And we mustn't say, hey, I can just go it alone. Because other people need your encouragement. They need your input. They need your, they need your passion. Sometimes we feel low on passion, don't we? Sometimes I need to be around people like Al, who's passionate for Jesus, and I get, I get impassioned. Sometimes I need to be around people who've just, just got compassion and, and, and a kind of merciful heart when I'm feeling like I'm really, really struggling right now. I need someone's compassion, or I need someone to encourage me. I need that. I'm in church leaders, but I need encouragement. And you could be the person to bring that encouragement to people who need encouragement. Do you understand? It's not about going off on our own and just breaking rank from that formation and saying, I want to go off on my own. We need to be, we're together. We strive side by side for the advance of the gospel. And so I want to I just pray that over you uh, in a little while, Redeemer, that you would be together side by side. That picture in your mind of we go forward together. No one... Uh, kind of straggling behind on their own. No one running off saying, I don't really need this. But actually together, side by side, taking the gospel forward in Colchester. I really believe that God kind of laid that on my heart as an emphasis today. We're called to unity and to unanimity, a, a oneness of heart. A unity where we, we, we're quick to forgive. We're quick to, to say, yeah, I know you didn't mean it like that. I'm just going to lay that down. I'm not, I'm not going to let this fester in my heart. We're quick to kind of get over ourselves and say, yeah, I'm not always right, actually. Or my preferences aren't always the right thing. We're quick to say these things when we're, when we're, when we're focusing in on the humility of Jesus. It's not all about us and our desires. So let me encourage you, if you're, as Hugh has already said, You've got your Getting Connected coming up very soon. Your Get Connected course where you can look at how you can get into the life of the church. Come and take your place here. This is a great church. This is, if Hope Church didn't exist, I would commute to Colchester to come here. This is a great church. And uh, listen, God has got good things for you. He's got wonderful things for you on the horizon. Come and take your place. Come and get stuck in. Come and find what gifts God has got for you to unpack and to walk in. Let's be those who develop a heart for others. Let's be like the Apostle Paul, this heart of a Christian leader. He's got a heart for others. He yearns for others. He prays for them. Be specific and bold in your prayers for your brothers and sisters here. Pray for people with that heart. Pray. Here's a good thing to pray for people. If you don't know what to pray for people, pray that they will know Jesus more and more. Because that's what Paul prays in verses 9 to 11. He prays that their knowledge will abound more and more and discernment will abound more and more. This is what he's praying for for them. Do you know, there's so much more to know of Jesus. There's so much more to know. Even some of you, you've been around the block a bit. You've, been, you've known Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years. Some of you, maybe more. And you think, there's, I must have worked it all out by now. There's more of Jesus to know. Even for you, there's more of him to know. And in eternity, there'll be more and more 
to discover. Sometimes we, we think we know it all. There's a great author, Michael Reeves, who I love this quote. He says, sometimes we find ourselves tiring of Jesus, stupidly imagining that we've seen all there is to see and used up all the pleasure there is to be had in him. We get spiritually bored. But listen, Jesus has satisfied the mind and heart of the Father for all eternity. Our boredom is simple blindness. If the Father can be infinitely and eternally satisfied in him, then he must be overwhelmingly all-sufficient for us. There's more of Jesus to know. There's more of him to get to know. There's, there's more riches for you to discover. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means you find this big treasure chest and you keep digging and you keep digging and you cannot find the bottom. And this is, our, this is what we have for eternity. You can know him more. And it's as you, as you come to know him more, it's then that you get to discern what is good. It's then that you get to discern what is, what's going to be helpful for me. What you get to discern what is the real deal. Because there's a whole load of counterfeits out there, right? There's a whole load of things that, uh, that, that seem good, but are not the real deal. I remember when I was 14, I really, really wanted a pair of four-stripe Adidas popper trousers, okay? Anyone remember, remember, anyone remember them? The popper trousers, which for some reason you could unpop to quite an immodest level. I have no idea why people wanted them, but everyone had them and I wanted some, okay? I wanted some Adidas three-stripe trousers, popper trousers. And my mum, being both a Yorkshire woman and being a Christian who was wanting to deal with her finances well, said, no, I'm, I'm not going to buy you them because you'll grow out of them very quickly. And so I got a pair of four-stripe Boss trousers, something like that. And I went to, to, to hang out with my friends, and I had these four-stripe Boss trousers on. And it was quite apparent straight away that they weren't the real deal. They're not Adidas, people could say straight away. They're not the ones. Listen, it's, as, you, as you focus in on Jesus, as you, as you get to know him more and more, you will understand what is the real deal and what is a counterfeit. You, you'll, you'll say, no, I'm not going to go there with my mind. I'm not going to go there with my energy and my thoughts because it's not the real deal. Jesus is the real deal. He's the one I want to get to know and, and love more and more. And it's as we do this, Paul says, that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. When you became a Christian, if you have become a Christian, maybe some of you haven't yet, you were made righteous by God. You weren't righteous beforehand. You were unrighteous in so many ways. And you were made righteous by God in a moment. You were justified, just as if you had never sinned. But even better than that, given the record of Jesus, the perfect no regrets record of Jesus, you, you were clothed in that. You were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You were made righteous. And the Bible uses the phrase, you were made oaks of righteousness. This is, this is who you are now. This is, this is who you are. You're, you're an oak of righteousness. And it's as we, it's as we focus in on Jesus, as we, are, as we fix our spiritual eyes on Jesus, our lives start to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. We start to bear fruit consistent with what we already are. Do you understand? We are oaks of righteousness. We start, to, we start to bear fruit consistent with what we already are. So we need to be those... If you think about an oak tree for a minute, they are, they're well-rooted trees. They can only grow big because they're very well-rooted. And, and so as Christians, we need to be those well-rooted in 
what Jesus has done for us, who he is, all that he is to us. But we're also reaching, like trees are reaching, aren't they? They, they, they kind of push out their branches, they're reaching f- towards the sunlight. We need to be those who are reaching towards that great day. I don't know if you picked up on that as we read verses 3 to 14. This great day of Jesus Christ is repeated twice. And later on in the book, it's repeated again. And Paul is talking again and again about the day of Jesus Christ. This is, he's rooted in what Jesus has done, firm grip on what Jesus has done. And he's reaching forward to a day of Jesus Christ, the day that is coming. And sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? We lose sight of that great day. We think this is the best it's going to get. We think, I kind of, Lord, yeah, I think you might be coming back one day, but there's some things I want to do before you do. And listen, there is nothing better. There's nothing better than the day that Jesus is going to return. Where Paul's able to say about his imprisonment, about his beatings, he's, he's able to say, these are light and momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory that we'll receive on that day, that we'll know on that day. And so we want to be those rooted, friends, rooted in what he's done for us, centering our lives around it, setting our lives for its advance, reaching forward to that day. Paul says in the last recorded words we have of him in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. This is talking about people loving, yearning for, craving the appearance of Jesus again. Are we those who, are we those who long that and we long for it in our hearts Lord Jesus we want you to come again better than anything else we could possibly experience in this life will be the weight of glory that we'll know this is something of the heart of a Christian leader maybe you want to even in the days to come unpack these go into these verses again see it some more and say God give me this heart I want to be other centered I want to be arrested by the gospel I want to be prayerful for others. I want to be rooted in what you've done and what you will do. I want, I want this for me. And listen, friends, as you, as you do this in the months and years to come, God's going to, he's going to raise up many here. And all that you've seen God do, which has been glorious these last seven years or so, you're going you're gonna to look back on and say, wow, he's done even more. He, he's, he's saved many. He's grown a beautiful family in this, in this, in this city. And he's going he's to blow your minds. He will. And there'll be much rejoicing. So can we pray together? I'd love to pray for us. Maybe we're going to sing if there's time um, to do that. Callum, come and lead us. Let's just give, let's just give, a, let's stand where we are. Let's just give a moment to asking these things to sink into our hearts. I've, I've said a lot, but we need God to help us just to receive what he wants us to receive. Father, I want to pray for a unity amongst this family that will be something that the elders of this church rejoice in, something that all of the saints in this church rejoice in. I pray for a unity. I pray for a oneness 
of we are, we are the ones who belong to Jesus. I pray that there be such a uniting around the gospel, around what you've done, Lord Jesus. I pray that there be such a, a unanimity of we have one goal. We want to advance this good news. We want to see people come to know Jesus. I pray that there'd be a, a unanimity of purpose. And I pray, Lord God, that you would grow men and women in this church, right across this family, and those that aren't with us today. Grow people with your heart. We want to be those that are centered around what you've done, Lord Jesus, orientating our lives. Lord, we say of all these things we've looked at, our money, our time, our talents, our friendships, our future. We want to say, Lord, it's all yours. Maybe you even want to just say it right now, Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours, Lord. It's, I want to center all of these things around what you have called me to. The advance of your gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that in the months and years to come, there would be much advance here in Colchester. I pray, Lord God, that there would be many coming at Christmas time to hear the good news. I pray that there'd be many uh, conversations being had in, in workplaces and in coffee shops and at the school gate and in the university halls. I pray that there'd be many conversations being had, that many will come to faith, that many will come to see that you, Lord Jesus, are life itself. Lord, you, you are the one that this is all about. Lord God, would you bring salvation in great measure to this city? Would you cause this church to overflow with life? New life, Lord, new birth. Would you do it, Lord? Let these people strive side by side together for the gospel. Would you bless them, I pray.